Esther series. I enjoyed what the Lord did through that. How many enjoyed that series, walking through that book? Amen. It was good. Uh, but man, I'm, I'm really excited about this one and what the Lord is going to do. We talked about it as a staff and where, where we should go and what the Lord was going to have for us next. And I feel as though, uh, you know, I feel like we, we went the right direction, the, the way that the Lord led us. And this is going to be an action-packed series. There's a lot of fun things. Uh, this first week is extremely practical. Uh, but how many want to know more about um, angels and demons and the unseen realm and how it, how it relates to us in Scripture? Anybody want to know more about that? Well, the author of this book, and I, I think it will be uh, a neat thing for us in general, we're going we're gonna to see how the New Testament authors, Mike, you doing okay? I love you, bro. You're a good man. Uh, we're going to see how the, the New Testament authors talk about this and how they bring it into uh, the writings and in their theology. It's all sprinkled through. And I feel as though uh, in times past I have maybe ignored that just based on my upbringing, my traditions, my views of, you know, that I read into the text, how I grew up. And so I really want to take the lid off this book. I, I want to share it with you in such a way that just kind of peels back the layers. It's, it's peel back the onion, if you will, and just reveal all the things that are happening, that are going on. And the way we do that is we look at it in its context. What was Peter saying to these people, to these churches? Who was he saying it to? Uh, it's not necessarily, of course, it's applicable to us, but as we study this, it's more about what was being said to them and why was it being said to them, and then we then apply those truths to our lives so as to not take it out of context. Um, it's important to understand it in its historical narrative and, and how the gospel writers uh, wanted, to get it, wanted, wanted to portray it. So I want to walk through this book uh, as we begin and as we start. There's just going to be a little bit of, uh, a little bit of background, a little bit of educational stuff here, and then we're going to jump in uh, to chapter 1. We'll cover all of chapter 1 today in the message, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll just pray that the Lord does something special. While I pray, I'm going to pray one more time. Why don't you pray that the Lord does something in your heart? How many need to receive something today? Anybody? How, how about you online? How many need to receive something? If you do, pray that the Lord will give it to you. How about maybe if there's uh, unconfessed sin, maybe if there's something in your heart right now that you know is a barrier, that you know the Holy Spirit's already, you're trying to worship, you're trying to get into this moment, but it just, keep, you know what I'm talking about? It keeps coming to your mind. It keeps revealing itself to you. How about this? How about you just confess that and forsake it right now? How about you just let that go right now? And then we focus in on the text and pray that the Lord does something in our hearts. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Oh, we thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask right now that you would bear witness of the word, that you would instruct us. God, my, my words, my thoughts. Father, may this be exactly what your church needs today as we look at 1 Peter. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to worship and meet and preach. Father, I pray that you would carry this message to every heart, to every person. Father, if there is one that is lost, that is without you, I pray you would reach down and save them gloriously. Lead them to the cross. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen. Excuse me. 
That's good, man. That's really good. That was made with love. It was. I can sense it. Amen. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? The chosen living as exiles. So let's give a little bit of background. I thought this was neat. There's Apostle Peter uh, in AD 64. Anybody ever wonder what he looks like? I think this is exactly what he looks like. Exactly. Uh, I mean, he's showing a little chest hair there. I thought that was interesting. I thought about maybe pulling, you know, no, anyway, I'm just teasing. So this is in AD 64, uh, representative of who the Apostle Peter was. Uh, consider the fact that this guy is, he's a main character. Can we agree on that? He's a main character in Scripture. He's zealous. Uh, he's the one pulling for the Jews. He's the one that's super passionate uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he had his moments. Yes, he had his moments where he uh, denied the Lord, where he struggled with his faith, where he stepped out on the water. And, and uh, looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, his faith became weak, right? And he was, but, but he was there. He was ready. He was ready to squeeze every ounce uh, of this spiritual life out, out of it that he could. You know what I mean? He was ready for a fight. He was ready for a party. This guy was ready to go. Uh, and we are the beneficiaries of his faith. And so this book is one that he wrote, uh, and we find that the time period, we believe he wrote it toward the latter end of his ministry. So looking at a timeline here, Jesus being raised from the dead in AD 31, uh, we have here Herod Agrippa imprisons Peter in 44. So just a few years later, we have the Jerusalem Council. We understand that the church was uh, split in a lot of ways over these issues of how Jews and Gentiles were relating. And we know that uh, the gospel was to be carried to the Gentiles. Praise the Lord. That's why we're here. That's why we have faith. That's why we have a church today. Uh, but it wasn't without its challenges. And Peter vocalized those. Uh, but we know that he was also, his heart was softened over and over. I think about Peter and Cornelius and that story in the book of Acts where, uh, you know, the Lord revealed to him that it wasn't about his tradition. It was about a relationship. And so we find that what I think is so interesting, so amazing, is what Peter was standing for for the Jews, he writes in the later years, Peter writes one, first and second Peter, which is what we're going to study today, he writes that to a predominantly Gentile audience. Most scholars agree when you look at uh, the map and where uh, where this letter and these letters were circulated, it was primarily to a Gentile audience. And we see that with his references and to whom he wrote it uh, inside the letter. Uh, so it, my point is, is that the Lord carries him on, on, a, on a journey in his faith to uh, one position of being staunch and fundamental in his aspects of Jewish law to then literally in the latter years writing beautiful letters to a predominantly Gentile audience and then saying, uh, listen, you can make it through. Yes, you're going to suffer. Yes, you're going to go through hard times, but the Lord is enough. Uh, so it's amazing to see this path and this journey that he goes on. And we find there in AD 64, somewhere in that three-year period, he was martyred. Uh, and what I want you to understand is we believe that this latter part of, of Peter's life, when he writes this, we find that the theme of the book is suffering, is walking through challenging times. Can anyone relate to walking through challenging times right now and even coming out of the year we just walked out of? 
2021 may be the same thing. Might be more challenges. It might be more pressures. And so we find that Peter in the latter years was writing about this specific topic of how suffering relates to our Christian walk and and what the Lord has for us and that we can make it and we can uh, give the Lord the glory. But we find that he's martyred in Rome. We believe that Nero was the emperor during this time. So that really brings clarity that as we're reading, uh, people are being converted. We have Gentiles, Christians uh, that, are, that are spreading, right? The word of God is spreading, and we have the dysphoria. We have the Jews spreading. The word of God's going out. Why? Because it's under heavy persecution. And if there's ever a time for us to focus on the fact that there were other Christians, we have our Bibles, we have our belief, we have our faith, because others rose to the occasion under suffering, rose to the occasion under persecution, and the Lord was glorified and magnified in it. So so it's not about uh, us being crushed under the weight of our persecution, crushed under the weight of our suffering. It is, what is the Lord's purpose in this journey? And we find that in these letters, the purpose is clear. The purpose is clear. That purpose is the gospel. And so know this, that the writings of Peter, the writings of this letter come at a time when Nero the emperor, I mean, he's in, how many have ever studied that emperor in history, Nero? Anybody? A few of you? I mean, this guy, uh, story time with Matt, ready? He literally, I, I was reading about him, he had, I mean, the paranoia was insane, but he wanted to kill his mother, but didn't want anyone to, his own mother. When we're talking about what he does to Christians, it's insane, right? They would, they would wrap them in animal skins and send them into uh, arenas with other live dogs and wolves and animals so that they would tear the Christians apart. Then they would impale them on stakes, cover them in tar, and light them on fire. And they illuminated the city with bodies of Christians that had been mauled to death. This is the kind of guy who was in charge. And, and I'm telling you, When we get to the part where Peter literally in this book under that administration tells us to submit to civil authority, we're going to have no excuses, Christians. No excuse. This is a very relevant book for us during this time. If Peter can say during that time with wicked leaders that, listen, the Lord has got this, then maybe we can put our focus on the gospel instead of who's in charge because we know who's in charge, the book of Esther the overarching authority. Listen to me. Literally, this guy, he, he, sp- <laughs> he, he literally uh, crafted above his mother's room. He had men work on a floor, a trap floor, that when she went to bed, he could deploy that floor and collapse it over top of her to make it look like her death was an accident. He literally made this ship to sink That didn't work. She caught on to it. She never went to bed in that room. She escapes it. I mean, this is literally, this is the kind of story who this guy was. He was crazy. He's like, okay, trap door didn't work. Trap, excuse me, trap floor didn't work to bring it down on mom. I'm going to get her. Mom, I've got this amazing journey prepared for you. And he sends her out on a boat uh, on this journey. And the boat, of course, it has a malfunction and it sinks. I wonder, who, was that, I wonder who, who did that. Nero. And, and history tells us that his mom, this was a strong lady, she literally swims to shore to an island and survives, shows back up in front of the emperor and says, uh-uh, take two. She's a strong woman. So then what does he do? He poisons her. 
I don't know what happened. I mean, this is the guy. Literally, he was insane. He was out of his mind. And he's the one who Peter is going to tell us to submit to. So there's literally no excuse. So I'm just trying to set the stage. Uh, this empire, this Roman empire, Roman rule, Peter is locked up, he's let out, and his main priority is that the gospel gets out. His main priority is not, I really want to set up a, 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 a political construct so that I can worship and, and have my freedom. This is not. He was like, no, we're operatives. We're behind enemy lines. We are going to literally get the gospel message out no matter what. And, and, and you just need to hang in there. You, you need to stay faithful because the Lord has a plan. We're operating under another kingdom, not this earthly kingdom. Uh, but really the theme of this book is suffering and walking through that suffering. Uh, let's see here. Here's a map. If you consider when we read, in fact, I'm going to go ahead, if you have your Bibles and open them up, I'm still going to read these scriptures again. I gotta keep this clean. That's off camera, okay? All right, there we go. <laughs> Talk on it. No, it's not. Fail, fail. Oh. There we go. If you look at uh, if you look at First Peter, he says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the chosen, uh, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, right? Uh, and in that, we find most scholars are saying that he, see the circular portion that he named it? He's saying that I, what, I'm, what I'm addressing is this surrounding community. And what we have is that this is modern-day Turkey. So if you Google Maps and search Turkey and let that pin ping on your phone, that's what this is. So modern-day Turkey, but Peter addresses in a circular fashion. That's why he pulls two different names for those places. So he's saying, listen... All of you that are in this region, and he draws a circle with his words, right? Uh, so this is the map of, of when and of who uh, and those people, a mostly Gentile audience uh, in those communities. So uh, let's get to uh, the, the meat of the message here. What time we got? Man, we're, we worshiped today, didn't we? It was good. How many are okay with going a little long when we have a worship service like that? Me too. Amen. And if you're watching online, no excuse, no excuse. You got your slippers on, you've got your coffee, so don't hate on me for pausing and taking a sip. Uh, no excuse, let's hang in there and let's go uh, here and, and, and enjoy this here. So here's the, here's the question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Here's the title, are we there yet? The chosen living as exiles. Let me ask you a few of these questions. Common thoughts and questions regarding life in a traveling context. Have we not reached our final destination? Have we not reached our final destination? What, in fact, is our final destination? Has anybody ever wondered that? You're like, no, I've never wondered. I'm, a, I'm in church. I'm a Christian. Of course I would never wonder that. I know what my final Listen, maybe even pre-Christian, have you ever wondered? Pre-biblical worldview. World is this... Is this it? Is there more? Here's another question. What are the directions to that destination? Maybe in your mind and in your life, you have solved the final destination piece. You know that eternity is real, but you're like, is there like a Google map version of how I get to that final destination? How many would like, like points? This is what you need to do to get to heaven. Anybody? <laughs> uh, scripture does that. 
It really does. And it's not as legalistic as we would think, but what are the directions to that destination? Here's another question. Do we have enough gas to get there? (laughs) Do we have enough gas to get there? Am I going to be able to keep going on this path, on this plan? Can anybody second that? You feel like sometimes you run out of gas on this journey? Nobody else? Just me? No? What about you online? No one in person. Everyone in here has a full tank this morning. Let me tell you. They stopped at the spiritual gas tank at the gas station before they got here. Sometimes I wonder if I got enough gas in the tank. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this journey and this question Uh, this question that I ask, are we there yet, is really to all of you online in person that are on this spiritual journey. Now, how many of you have children? Anybody? Okay. When you're taking a trip, what is the one question that your children continue to ask? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And they continue to ask it over and over. And And when it's answered, the answer is typically no, but then the question comes back, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And, and on, if, if we're honest with ourselves, if we put things in perspective with our relationship to the Lord, every time we stop and take a breath, what we're really doing is we're saying to the Lord, are we there yet? When we stop in our spirit and we're like, ah. When we have that relationship conflict, when we have those moments where you're just like, I I don't know if I can continue. I don't know if I can. That is our adult way of saying, Lord, are we there yet? Can anybody testify this morning of whether you've asked the Lord if you're there yet this week or not? Anybody? Okay, that's what Peter is saying. Can you imagine living under oppression, trying to be a Christian, trying to profess Christ, and literally uh, the governors and and the the governmental structures are are opposing you in that, and they're literally coming against you. How many times do you think you would ask the Lord, are we there yet? Lord, if you would just come tomorrow, Lord, if you would just end this suffering, Lord, if you would just end my troubles and my heartaches, if you would just lead me beside still waters, I'm ready. Are we there yet? That's really The question, when I read this book, I read it twice, just front to back, cover to cover, 1 Peter to 2 Peter, and then I set my Bible down and I was like, are we there yet? It's Peter answering that question with theological strength, with constructs that that will support your soul, that will allow you to say, I know we're not there yet, or better yet, I know we're there, but not yet. Oh, I know we're there, but not yet. I'm okay, I'm good, I'm at peace. Some of you are going to find peace in this sermon series. Some of you are going to ask this question with a different, are we there yet? Rather than are we there yet? Some of you at the end of this series, you're going to look forward to the Lord's coming with anticipation, not with end what I have going on right now. You will. Hang in there. Let me help you with this broad picture. Are you ready? So when it comes to the big picture we see in Scripture, the big picture that we see in Scripture, I'm going to read this. I think maybe for those of you online and in person, this may be, ooh, don't spill your coffee, Matt. This may be the first time for some of you to hear me articulate 
a big picture worldview, what I would call a Christian worldview. And if this is the first time, it's okay. What I'm going to say might contradict what you learned in school. I hope it does, actually. <laughs> how, many know that, how many know that in school right now, our children aren't learning a Christian worldview? How many know that? So are we actively teaching that as parents? So let, let, let me just put it to you really simply, okay? And what we're going to read here in, in Peter reflects what I'm about to say. Are you ready? Here we go. A Christian worldview, the broad picture of what we see in scripture. Earth was the seen realm created by the unseen realm that Yahweh or the Lord lives in and is sovereign over. Mankind was a part of the seen realm and God loved us and blessed us. We look at the Garden of Eden, right? God loved us and blessed us. There was a riff in the unseen realm that spilled over into the seen. There was a riff in heaven spilled over. We find this Satan figure showing up in the seen realm after there was a riff in the unseen realm, right? It spilled over and we see it in the Garden of Eden. Watch this. Mankind broke the fellowship with the unseen. Remember Adam walked with God? Remember that? In the cool of the day? And then he was driven out of that fellowship and that was severed. Watch, angels, cherubs, unseen realm type members guarding those gates. It was severed. Romans 5, 12, look at this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world, sin entered the world driven from the garden through one man who was who? Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sin. What, what I have to do right now is, is see this death spread to all people because, that's a reason, cause and effect, because all sin. What I have to do, I, I can't deliver to you a letter from Peter without the context that Peter was writing in. I can't tell you that, listen, you're suffering, everything's going to be okay when you haven't dealt theologically with your suffering. When you don't have a context and a framework for bad things happening in your life, nothing makes sense. But the Bible makes it clear that, that we were created perfect. We were in harmony and, and the riff in the unseen realm. We don't know all the specifics, but man, when he sinned under the temptation of the devil, his relationship was severed with God. Therefore, death came in. So, so death is now present in the world. So what you say is disease, anything with death, problems, cancer. Why, does, why do children get cancer? Why do children, if God is who God is, why do bad things happen to good people? Bad things happen because there is sin in the world. It is not a respecter of persons. It is because of persons' sins. It is not necessarily the fact that that child has done a specific sin. It is the fact that it is a disease that we all have called sin. And therefore, we all endure trouble. We all endure trauma. I think of Job. Man's life is short, full of trouble. I think of the Lord giveth and taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think of John, uh, six, uh, John 16, 33. In me, you'll have peace, but in the world, you're going to have tribulation. So when we talk about suffering, we need a theological construct that it is not God. It is us. We are now uh, dealing with, with death. We are dealing with disease. We are dealing with problems in our life because sin exists in the world, not because of God. 
We need to get that straight. The hostile enemy forces that were at one point in time angels and rulers that worked with Yahweh, the Lord as we know him, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, but these angels and powers that left their first estate, heaven, fell to the earth and have been vying for position and powers for at least the last 6,000 years. Think of Paul's words. For we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. I'm giving you this this construct here. The devil, listen, uh, uh, back it up, Robinson. We have a God that did not take this battle lying down. This is the part that gets me really pumped. He didn't take this battle of those uh, angels and demons lying down. Jesus, uh, I want to read this. Here's, here's, here's our God. But God proves, this is new for me, so transitioning here and showing you these scriptures, bear with me, I'm going to get used to it, but today it's new. But God proves his own what? Love, say that word with me, love for us. And that while we were yet or still sinners, Christ what? About to have a Holy Ghost fit. You see, we, we, we don't have a God that took this battle lying down. Our God loved us. And while the hostile enemy forces were waging war against Yahweh for the souls of men, our God chose to fight the battle in the flesh. Listen to this word. Jesus put on human flesh and waged war against spiritual forces on their own turf. Angels that fell to the earth that felt like he's the prince and power of the air that they had this thing under lockdown. Jesus came to the doorstep, to their uh, domain, if you will, just to reverse the very nature of the law of sin and defeated death by the power of his resurrection. The devil, listen to this, don't online, listen to this word. In person, listen to what I'm about to say. The devil, the father of all lies, could never imagine having the power of God and actually laying it down for someone else. That, that is why, that is the crux of why he is the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he would never be the lion of the tribe of Judah that willingly laid his life down for the sheep. If the devil ever possessed the power that Yahweh had, he would never give it up. But we have a God that loved us. We have a God that created us perfect, that created us in harmony and in fellowship. And when that was broken, we didn't have a God that prioritized his power over his relationship. We have a God that laid down his power for the relationship of mankind. That's incredible. That's why as you give your days To a roaring lion, he devours them. You give your days to the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he shepherds you, and he protects you, and he loves you. This is a biblical worldview. This is a biblical worldview. With that in mind, let's read this scripture. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 5. Ready? Here we go. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the chosen living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. He has this worldview in mind. My grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he hath given us new birth, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's that biblical worldview in mind. He's giving us a living hope through his death. And into and what's that next word? Why do we have a living hope? Because we have a what? An inheritance. That is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in where? For you. For you. I got something for you. I got a life preserved. The devil thought he was going to strip you of your rights and privileges, but I came down and reenacted it. I reversed it. I made a way for you to have your inheritance. I'm protecting it for you. Why is this important? Because when you're dealing with garbage on earth, you need to know what's waiting for you. You need to know what's waiting for you. Oh, it's going to get better. You are being guarded, verse 5, by God's power through what? Yes. Through faith for a salvation that is what? Ready to be revealed in the last time. It's coming. It's coming. It's happening. My goodness gracious. Listen to this commentary. I, I, want, you to, I want you to clearly see this. I want you to clearly understand this. This is not the way Satan wants you to think. This is not the way the rulers of this world want you to think. They don't want you to consider this biblical worldview. Why? Because anyone that has a morality conscience at the center of their core that they were created with, when you see someone with ultimate power lay it down, when you see someone that has the ability to escape death but yet dies on their own volition and own accord, you immediately in your gut know, that person loves me. The very thing that Jesus did for you, the devil is never willing to do. You, you want to know who your real friends are? Scripture tells us, those that are willing to go to bat for you, lay down your life for you, what, what our Lord did for you. Consider this, Karl Marx Marx complained that religion is the opiate of oppressed people. Was Peter making that mistake right here by reminding those who are suffering of eternal life? I'm reminding you that there's an eternal life coming for you, so it's okay to suffer. Was that a mistake? That, was this an opiate that Peter was administering to them? Make them feel better just by saying there's something waiting for you. Do you understand what a Marxist socialist, the type of things that are being taught to our children today? Do you understand why he's saying that? Right, because he doesn't understand it. That's not at all what Peter's saying. We should remind ourselves, first of all, that Peter, watch this, was not exempt from suffering himself. He was not speaking as a rich, comfortable person to those who are experiencing difficulty. The promise of an eternal inheritance is abused if it becomes a means by which the poor are oppressed. And yet many of those who are suffering in this world find no relief and no justice. 
Marx offers nothing to them, since his only paradise is a worldly one, a paradise that most in this world never experience. The fundamental issue is that Marx did not believe in a heavenly inheritance. Peter did believe in it. It provides a great incentive for those suffering, reminding them that the veil of tears will not last long, and that a great reward is laid up for those who are faithful. The point is Peter was in the suffering too. What is backwards in the socialist, humanistic mindset is if someone who is not suffering is telling, and this is the prosperity gospel, give everything that you have to the Lord as you give it. He's going to multiply an inheritance. He's going to give you this life. Go ahead. Anybody know any other religions that say go kill yourself and in heaven you're going to have all of these things given to you? When a religious structure controls the narrative and and produces something different for the follower than the leader, it's a cult. It is an opiate. It is something that is wrong at its core. But Peter is speaking from a place of persecution. Our Lord was tempted as we are tempted. In our biblical worldview, when Satan comes and talks to you like he did in the Garden of Eden, he cannot suggest to you that the Lord wasn't willing to go through it himself. He can lie to you. But the truth of the matter is a biblical, stay with me. I see you online, Jan, and you better not. You better not. A biblical worldview is where we understand that God walks with us. And Peter, it's not an opiate that he's giving to the poor commoners. Peter is living it himself. Peter was crucified upside down. Peter lost his own life. For those of you that watch a YouTube video that says, I don't think Christianity is real. I don't think anything exists outside of this. These are not uh, people in an ivory tower that were looking down on commoners and taking advantage and fleecing them of their money. The real McCoy, they literally laid down their lives. They walked through this trauma. They allowed themselves to suffer and they did it willingly. That's why we know. We have a testimony of those that have gone before us. Put that in an atheist's face in love. In love. I love you. I care for you. I'm willing to go to bat for you. Really? Yeah, that's what, that's what a biblical Christian worldview does. Ah, really? Yeah, when we're asking you to walk through suffering but telling you there's a crown waiting for you, that's not how this is going. We're saying there's a reality that we are going towards. This is not an exchange. This is not a Coke machine. This is someone who literally paved and paid the way, walks with you, loves you, has this relationship with you all the way to the end. So therefore, we should not tether our lives to something physical in nature, but something that is imperishable. That's what he's saying. So therefore, if you're a Christian and you are striving for something that is on this side of heaven and it is consuming you, you better stop. You better stop. Excuse me. Mm. Oh man, I just looked at the clock. Peter is talking. Listen to me here. We're going to roll. You ready? You ready? I think we've laid enough groundwork. Peter talking to this audience, walking through this trauma, Nero being the leader. Consider what he has gone through. Let's ask this question again. Stay with me. Online, if I got to come through that camera. Just kidding, I love you. I love you. 
In person, listen to me. Online, listen to me. Let's ask this question again. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Well, no. But yes, it's waiting, it's there, but we're not there yet. Peter calls it a living what? A living. Peter calls it a living what? Yes, he does. He does praise him. He calls it a living hope. Here's what that means. A living, confident expectation. Say it with me. A living, confident expectation. Mm, Can you imagine Christians that are a living, confident expectation? I could sense during worship today, maybe it wasn't as strong online because we were figuring out the audio. But in this room, as we're going... I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For what? For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to have a hope of a living expectation. A living expectation. Furtick writes it better, doesn't he? Maybe we get Peter and Stephen Furtick in the same room in heaven. Boy, we're going to be dancing and worshiping forever. (laughs) Son! Hey, we can have a living hope, a living expectation. I'm going to put this in perspective for you. Look at this verse. Therefore, why don't you read it with me? Therefore, with your minds ready for action. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Are you ready for this? Are we there yet? From, are we there yet? You sense it. You feel it. He's setting the stage. Therefore, with your minds ready for action. Be what? Sober-minded. Set your, set your, online, I can't hear you. Set your, completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness gracious. Here it is. Are you ready? Listen. Future promise to focused priorities. I'm about to bring it home for you. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have a future promise to focused priorities. The the future promise. Ah. Future promise. Here's the point. The future promise is Jesus, the inheritance. But Peter already laid it out for us. He's saying, You're suffering. You're going through some things. There's some trauma in your life. But understand that Jesus has an inheritance waiting for you. Jesus walked through these troubled waters for you. A future promise is coming. A living promise. A living, oh, yes, a living hope, future promise. But this is what he doesn't do. Peter doesn't stop at future promise. He says our future promise, who is Jesus, our future promise, who is who? Turns into focused priorities. And here's where we miss it as as children of God. Listen, let let me be straight with you. In suffering and in struggles and in those are we there yet moments, Tragically, often Christians are sidelined because they do not focus their spiritual priorities. 
You, you get caught in the big picture. Well, the Lord took care of it. Well, he's got me. He's going to hold me through it. Peter didn't stop there. He says, you have a living hope. You have an expectation that is set upon you. The Lord has gone before you. He has promises that are enacted in your life, and that will produce action. Be therefore sober-minded. We're about to go to work. We don't have a Christian life. We don't have the luxury of lying down. Why? Because there's been a victory. You don't find a victory in battle where people are retreating. If it's a victory, what are we doing? We're advancing. Therefore, Jesus says to Peter, Satan thinks he's got this rock on lockdown, but let me tell you, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We will fight, we will advance, and we will plow right through them. Why? Because I've already defeated it. We have to get to this place as Christians where we have focused priorities according to this living hope. Does anybody know what, a fo- what, what those focused priorities are? I d- yeah, I didn't think so. Let's, let's talk about them. I'm going to give you three of them today, okay? I'm going to give you three of them. Three focused priorities. Look at verses 14 and 16. Verses 14 through 16. Stay, w- stay with me. Verses 14 through 16. As what? Obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. (laughs) When it comes to focused priorities, first we have to understand that we have to look at things differently now. I I have to look at things differently? Yeah. When considering the fact that we have been saved now with a living hope, a living expectation of our future inheritance, then we need to live like children that have a future inheritance. We don't need to live in ignorance, but we have a lot of Christians that don't know what's there. They don't know what has been prepared. They don't know what the Lord has bought and paid for them for. Rich kids act like rich kids, just saying. Why? Because they know what mommy and daddy have. Shoo. Say something to me. Say something. I do whatever I want. Why my mommy and daddy going to take care of it? That's not how we should act, but that's how we should act. Do you understand what I'm saying? My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. You got problems? You got a problem? You got an issue? How about we expect? How about we approach life with a confident expectation, a living hope, not our former ignorance. What am I saying? I'm saying that if the Lord is calling you, he's going to equip you. He is going to give you what is necessary. He's not going to leave you in the dirt, in the desert. He's going to provide the water. How do we approach this? Well, we take a future promise and we turn it into focused priorities. What's that priority? Verse number 15, read it with me. But as the one who called you is holy... You also are to be what? Holy in what? Your con. That's right. For, for it is written, be what? Because. So now the expectation comes into a focused priority called number one. Number one, holiness. Holiness. Listen to me. Listen to me. He can... Lead, excuse me, he can lead you here because he's already lived it. 
He has this fully packaged, ready to be delivered. All you have to do is submit to it. I'm not saying to you, you have to find the strength within yourself to be who you need to be. That's not what, that's not what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, <laughs> you have inherited something. You had nothing to do with this. If we go back and read the beginning of this passage, he, he said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. This is in God's plan. Now, I'm, I don't believe that you are separated from this. I believe that because we are moral, eternal human beings, that you have to decide. I don't believe that we're robots. I'm going to be holy, for God is holy. Lord, take over. No. I accept you as my Savior. Now, now take me a puppet master. It's not like that. It is holy smokes. Like, literally, he defeated the very thing that I'm inclined to. I'm, I'm going towards that temptation. I'm going towards that sin again. It's the law of sin and of death, and I can't. Yes, you can. You can have victory. Lord, I need you to do this through me. Lord, I need your victory now. I need to confess. I need forgiveness. I need your Peter says this, grace and mercy be multiplied on you. We need a clear view of the cross. We need a clear view of what our Savior went through to enable us to live holy lives. A focused priority from a future promise is holiness. This is why, listen, remember Peter talks about former ignorance? Ignorance is not bliss, and it's not okay in this area. We should have a hold on our desires. Peter is saying to you, listen, be ye holy, for I am holy. If you understand our living hope, then you will go towards our Savior and not towards your sin. I'm, I'm just trying to break it down for you. A focused priority in our lives should be holiness. It should be, well, I just, I like this relationship. I like this show. I like these cars and clothes and 20 foes. Focus priorities, holiness. Lord, is there something in my life that shouldn't be there? Can you take those desires away? Can you help me love you more? Can, your, can, can you increase, Holy Spirit, my love, my desire for my Savior more than for the things of this flesh? When you put right next to each other Satan and what he has to offer and Jesus and what he did and what he's offering for you, one's a lie, one's truth, it should be plain as day what holiness means. Most Christians that struggle with this just haven't had a clear picture of this gospel worldview that I've spelled out for you today. Do you struggle with holiness? Do you struggle with being pure in your heart and in your mind? Do you know what's waiting for you? Why do we struggle with living expectation of the kingdom of God in our lives? Because we're believing a lie. 
were believing a lie. Man, it got quiet. That's okay. Some of you right now in your heart, that sin that doth so easily, and I'm included, you need right now in this moment to say, Lord, I want to be holy more than I want to sin. Some of you need to walk out that door different today. The Lord will give you victory. But you have to accept that. Oh, I will. I'll accept it. I'll take it, Lord. I'll take this. I'll take it all. And then you run to your sin. Uh, How do you expect a living expectation? I just, Pastor, I don't feel it. I'm walking through this challenging time. Why don't you feel him? Well, don't ask specific questions. When was the last time you read your Bible? When was the last time you prayed? When was the last time you sinned? 30 minutes ago? Peter's like, there's no living expectation. You're just in former ignorance. If the apostle could stand right here, oh, this is neat. And if he could just look at you right now and say, listen to me, you really, this man died for his faith. And you think it's funny. You want to tell him that you struggle with holiness? There's something wrong with 2021 Christians. There's something wrong. We have a problem with this word because we have a problem with loving ourselves too much. Plain and simple. Man, I don't like this series. Yeah, probably not. It's a tough one. This beat me up all week. But it didn't beat me up in a bad way. It gave me power towards a living hope. Instead of realizing, realizing what the devil was stealing from me. If you struggle with depression, if you struggle with this idea of holiness, if you struggle with peace, if you struggle with anxiety, if you struggle with life in general, it's because you're not focusing your priorities on a living hope. When you choose to say yes to one thing is to say no to something else. When you choose to say yes to your sin and no no to holiness, you're choosing the insecurities of your anxiety over the peace and the promise. Yes, I'll take my sin. Then you'll also take your anxiety. I want peace, Lord. Then focus on the promise. And that's a very narrow focus priority for Peter. He says this, be ye holy as I am holy. Some of y'all need to clean some stuff out. Here's the second thing. Look at this verse. I'm gonna float through the holy cow. Read this with me. If you appeal to the father who judges impartially, According to each, uh, each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in what? During your time living as a stranger. Are we there yet? You're not there yet. Peter uses these words, exiles. Chosen in exile. You're, listen, this world is not your home. We serve a great, incredible God. An incredible God. Look at this verse. For the fear of the Lord is the what? Beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. The what? The fear of the Lord. The second thing that we need to understand today is reverence. Peter says a focused priority should be holiness. A focused priority in a Christian's life should be reverence for the Lord. (laughs) Do you know who God is? 
Do you know what God has done? Do you fear him? I don't mean, no Christian should be afraid. If you're afraid, it's probably because you're living in sin. But in awe of who he is will motivate, to, motivate you towards holiness. A focused priority in a Christian's life should be reverence. Reverence. We have an incredible, magnificent God. The third thing, look at this. Through him, you what? Believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified yourself by your what? To, to what? To truth. So that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart. Love one another constantly. Because you have been, what is it? Born again. <laughs> a living hope. Not of perishable seed, but of what? Imperishable. Through the living and enduring what? Word of God. For all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like a flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fails. But the word of the Lord, what? Endures forever. And this word is the, say that word, that was proclaimed to you. This morning the gospel was proclaimed to you. This morning it was clearly put, come on up, clearly put, proclaimed. There's this last word that Peter is saying should be a focused priority, and here's what it is. Acceptance. Acceptance. Some of you have not accepted the suffering in your life because you haven't fully embraced your Savior and accepted him. By his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. Scripture says, church, listen to me. Online, listen to me. The third thing that I see here from the apostle as a focused priority is this thing of acceptance. How do I live out the hope? How do I live out the expectation? Have you accepted Jesus as your savior? Have you personally in your heart decided that you are going to accept everything? Now, for some of you in childlike faith that have maybe years ago said, yeah, I accept Jesus as my Savior. I'm going to make him Lord of my life. and you're, you're my Savior. You're my King. You've put your faith in him. You're going to heaven when you die. I've got an inheritance waiting for me. But yet you haven't connected that with the suffering in your life. You haven't connected your decision to accept Jesus as your Savior as the same Jesus that's Lord over your suffering. So it's twofold today. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Maybe, and we'll have a couple of elders, come on down front. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. And if that's you, if my, the Christian worldview that, that Peter has projected here in this passage, if this is the first time that you're hearing that, or this is the first time that the Holy Spirit is speaking in your heart, and you're like, I want to accept that living hope. I want to accept Jesus and make him Lord of my life. If that's you, we have space for that today. 
we want you to come. We invite you to come and let an elder or one of our elders' wives pray with you and help you accept Jesus as your Savior. So that's one piece to it. Online, if you wanna know more about how to have a relationship with Jesus, if you wanna know more about why we're really happy in times that you don't think you can be happy, comment on this post. Send us a private message. We'll reach out to you and help you with that relationship. But here's the other part. Here's the other part. Many of you have put your faith and trust in Jesus and you're not living in hope. You're not living in expectation of what the Lord is going to do because our priorities are not focused. You have to straighten out your prayer. I wanna go here, I wanna do this, I want this in life. Here's what we should want, holiness. Here's what we should want, reverence for our God. Here's what we should want, I want acceptance, God. God, give me the strength to accept the things that I cannot change. God, give me the power today through your Holy Spirit to overcome the suffering in my life so that I can be birthed in my new life looking towards the glorious appearing of my Lord and Savior, acceptance. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Take this moment. I know we're a little late today.